All right. I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to Romans. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. is going to be the focus of our time today, but I want to read uh, verses... Um, I want to start in verse 19 and read through verse 26 so that we get the context. So I'm going to read verse 19 through 26 of Romans chapter 3, um, and then we're going to focus our attention on verse 21 and 22. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand as we read God's Word. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the Word of God to His church today. You may be seated. The title of our message today is Saving Righteousness Revealed. Last week we began a series of sermons that I'm calling The Greatest News. And today we're talking about Saving Righteousness Revealed. Last week I began by comparing our lives to my driveway as a way of understanding the book of Romans. If I were to take you for a ride down my driveway, just as a reminder, we would get to the end of it and you would look at me and you would say, your driveway is a mess. It is in horrible condition. You desperately need a load of gravel on this thing. And in a similar way, as we studied chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 last week, we took a ride down the driveway of our lives and saw that the law of God points out just how messed up we are. Just how messed up our lives are as a result of sin. The problem, though, is that that is all the law can do. All the law can do is point out the sin in our lives. It reveals that our need is to be counted righteous, but it cannot make us righteous in the sight of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, that first section of the book of Romans, it leaves us standing in a need, with a need of righteousness. We're, it just leaves us there standing, standing there saying, I need to be righteous, but there's nothing, there's nothing I can do to make me righteous. But thankfully, Paul's letter to the Romans does not end at chapter 3, verse 20. See, after Paul is finished with the bad news, then he unloads the good news. The church, wow! <laughs> Wow, it is good news. It is really good news. It is gospel news. That's what our gospel means. It means good news. It is the greatest news ever, but it's also a lot to unpack. It's huge. It's heavy. And so it deserves our careful attention. 
When we read Romans chapter 3, if you look at verses 21 through 26, that good news section, it's kind of like watching a dump of, uh, dump truck just dump a pile of gravel out in the middle of our broken down driveway. And we look at it and we're like, yes, so thankful for this. What in the world do I do with all of it? It, 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 can, it can evoke a great sense of thankfulness, and at the same time, it can make us feel a little overwhelmed with what to do with it all. And what I want us to do over the next few weeks is spend some time at this load of gravel, if you will, examining the size, the color, the composition. Now, that sounds really boring. And it, and it would be if we were talking about a load of gravel. But, but imagine for a moment, let's say, let's say, that that dump truck pulled up and dumped out a load of gold and diamonds and rubies. I mean, I mean, a dump truck load just dumped it there. Well, then it would make a little more sense for us to go, wow, and spend some time picking it apart and looking at it and rolling it over in our hands and holding it up to the sun and watching it shine and glimmer. It would make more sense to spend some time there examining it. Friends, what we have before us is far greater than even a dump truck load of gold, rubies, and diamonds. What we have before us in this passage is the greatest news in all of the world. What we have before us is a treasure whose value cannot even be described fully with human words. The Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 11... So this is so there's a clear break in Romans from chapter 11 to chapter 12. The first half of Romans 1 through 11, he's unpacking our need and what meets our need is the gospel and he explains it in detail. And then he transitions to how it applies to our lives. So the end of chapter 11, verse 33, he gets to the very end of this incredibly in-depth, profound explanation of the gospel and then he says this, "Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. You you see, the Gospel is simple enough for a child to understand and yet magnificent enough to leave the greatest theologian in the world speechless in his examination of this incredible gift. The question is not, why would we spend time carefully examining these verses of Scripture Rather, the question is, why would we not spend time mining the depths of the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ? As we saw last week, the bad news of our sin, which is evident when we compare our lives to God's law, should leave us looking outside of us rather than inside of us for a way to become righteous. When the law exposes our sin, we're left asking, is there another way? Say, can the law make us righteous? No. Then is there another way to be counted righteous apart from the law? And church, the answer is yes. Through Jesus, God has revealed His way for sinners to be counted righteous. Through Jesus, God has revealed His way for sinners to be counted righteous. And we're just going to begin unpacking this good news today. And the first aspect of this good news we want to see and examine is that this way for sinners to be counted righteous is centered upon a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to hear me say the name Jesus a lot of times today. Through Jesus, God has revealed His way for sinners to be counted righteous. 
You can't fill in that blank where Jesus is anywhere with any other word. It's not a blank. If it is, we could say that God's already filled it in for us. It's not, it's not, it's not an option. It's not a multiple choice. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Other key words in verses 21 through 26 are the words grace and the word faith. And we're going to focus on those words and those aspects of the gospel next week and the following week, Lord willing. Today we want to focus our attention on verses 21 and 22 and see that God's way of counting sinners righteous is through Jesus. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to tell you this up front, what we will learn today from God's word is not popular, not in our world. The world will not love you for believing the message that we're going to see today. But the world can be saved if they will believe this good news message. And so we want to know this good news. We want to believe this good news. We want to share this good news with others. It is the greatest news in all the world. And church, it is the greatest news for all the world. As we walk through these two verses, I want to share with you three truths which I pray will either drive you to faith in Jesus for salvation if you are lost in your sin today, or will drive you to Jesus in further praise and obedience if you've already been saved from your sin. First truth is this, God sent Jesus to accomplish what the law could not. Church, hear this very clearly. This is the good news of Jesus God sent Jesus to accomplish what the law could not. We went into great detail about the law uh, last week. If you're unable to watch that, I encourage you to uh, go online and watch that uh, sermon. Just to just to spend some time considering what the law is and does for us, but also what the law cannot do. If you, if you leave today remembering nothing else, I want you to remember that the good news of salvation is centered upon Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is God's way of counting people righteous because Jesus is able and he's the only one able to do what the law could not. Paul transitions from the bad news of the letter to the good news with these beautiful words, but now, but now. I love it when the Apostle Paul uses the words, but now. He uses these words in his writings to signify a change has taken place or is taking place. And often it is a gospel change. It is a change that only God could bring about in our lives. For example, Romans chapter 6, verse 20 through 22 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Death, but now life. Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Death, but now, life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world, but now, but now, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. 
and you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But now He has reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. But now are some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. But now, I love these words because I know we as humans are in desperate need of of a great change to take place in our lives, a change that only God can accomplish. And Paul says here in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed or made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's a lot going on in these verses, but just notice the contrast. Whereas before God manifested or revealed, made known His righteousness by giving us a law, now He's made known His righteousness by giving us Jesus. And this is good news because under the law, we stand before God condemned. But through faith in Jesus, we stand before God righteous, justified. Remember, God is righteous and we are not. It's that theme, it's that tension in the book of Romans. And, and what, what can bring us to God? What can bring God to us if God is righteous and we are not? Paul is teaching that God has previously revealed His righteousness by giving us the law, which only revealed our sin. You see that if you back up to verse 20. But now God has revealed His righteousness by giving us Jesus who saves us from our sin. Notice the contrast. Now, the difference between the law and Jesus is not that one was bad and the other is good. Don't think that. Don't think the law is bad, but Jesus is good. No. Both the law of God and the Son of God reveal the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is good, regardless of what it is that reveals it. The difference is that the good law of God reveals God's righteousness in a way that leaves us as sinners condemned before God, while Jesus reveals God's righteousness in a way that doesn't leave us as sinners, but makes us righteous. See, our greatest need is to be counted righteous before a holy and righteous God. Skip down to verse 24 for a minute. You'll probably see in your Bibles the word justified or the phrase counted righteous. It's what the word justified means. It means to be counted righteous. That's what we need. We need, and it speaks of people being able to be justified, being able to be counted righteous. And how is it? It's through Jesus. The law and Jesus are both gifts from God, but only Jesus has the power to save. Whereas the law says, do this perfectly and you will be righteous, Jesus says, I will be perfect for you so you can be counted righteous. Whereas the law says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Whereas the law came saying, do this and you will live, Jesus came saying, I will give up my life because I know you can't do this and then you will live. Whereas the law came saying, God is righteous and you are not. End of story in a way. Jesus came saying, I am righteous and you are not, but don't worry. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Friends, the good news of the Gospel is that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law through the person of Jesus Christ. Even the name Jesus here signifies who He is and why He came. The name Jesus means salvation has come. That's what The law doesn't mean salvation has come. Jesus means salvation has come. 
So whereas the law says you are a sinner, Jesus says, I am salvation for sinners. It's like the sound of a plane in the ears of someone shipwrecked on a deserted island. So is this revelation of God's righteousness through the person of Jesus to one condemned under the law. When we hear those words, but now God has revealed His righteousness apart from the law and it's through Jesus who came to rescue you from your inability to keep the law, man, we ought to shout for joy. God has loved us that much and He has provided what we need. A way for us to become righteous. God has come to you. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has come for us. We cannot get to God, but God has come to us in the person of His Son. Now you might ask, how is it? I mean, how is it that God can take a wretched sinner like me? I mean, if I'm really as bad as as God's Word says that I am, how is it that all of a sudden I can just become righteous through Jesus? Well, we're going to look at that answer to that question in a whole lot more detail next week. As we look at verse uh, 24, 25. But let me just say for now, summarize it this way. God is able to count a sinner righteous through Jesus because Jesus took our sin upon Himself on the cross. And He paid the price for our sin. And because of what Jesus has done... God is able to count us righteous if we believe in Him. The law could not do that. The law couldn't die for our sin. The law can never do that. God sent Jesus to do what the law could not, to make us righteous before the righteous God. Second truth that we see in this passage is this. God sent Jesus to fulfill what Scripture foretold. God sent Jesus to fulfill what Scripture foretold. Foretold. I love this. I love this kind of little insert here that the Lord inspired Paul to put in this letter to the Romans. Because here's the, here's the thing that we gotta be careful about. At this point, it is tempting to drive a wedge between everything God said before Jesus came and everything God said after Jesus came. It's tempting to, to, to look with contempt upon the Old Testament and go, ah, the Old Testament, all it does is tell me I'm a sinner. It's not good. Let's not read that. And then focus and think, be so thankful for the New Testament. It's tempting to think that God somehow failed in His first attempt to save people through the law, so He started over by sending Jesus. But friends, this could not be further from the truth. Just because God revealed His righteousness through Jesus 2,000 years ago, when a virgin gave birth to the Son of God who died for the sins of the world, does not mean that it was a newly invented plan of God 2,000 years ago. It doesn't mean that God had messed up for thousands of years before that. When Paul says that the righteousness of God has now been revealed apart from the law, he does not mean in opposition to the law. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now first, what does he mean by the law and the prophets? Well, the law and the prophets, that phrase together, the law and the prophets, you put them together, the law and the prophets, it's a way of referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, which we know as the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament are known as the law. In Hebrew, it's the word Torah. It means law. And then the rest of the Old Testament books are often referred to as the prophets. Jesus referred to the Hebrew Scriptures as the law and the prophets on several occasions 
We have recorded in the Gospels. Multiple times in the book of Acts, we see Luke, who is the human author of the book of Acts, refer to the Hebrew Scriptures as the Law and the Prophets. So the Law and the Prophets is what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Now, second, what does he mean by bear witness to it? Well, he means that the Old Testament affirms Jesus Christ as the saving righteousness of God because it foretold what Jesus fulfilled. The Old Testament bears witness. It testifies to. It, it, it gives us it's, uh, a claim of credibility to the claim that Jesus is the Son of God and the saving righteousness for the world. So Paul is saying that this revelation of God's righteousness is not newly invented. But now doesn't mean it, but now just popped into the mind of God a few minutes before the angel appeared to Gabriel. Let me rephrase that. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. There we go. No, that's not what it means at all. The Old Testament was was setting the stage, it was providing the promises, and it was creating the expectations necessary for the arrival of the Messiah. The Old Testament, which contains the law of God, did not point to the law as the means by which God would save sinners from their sin, but it did point to the one who was coming who would save sinners from their sin. For instance, let's give you a few examples. In the Law and the Prophets, God promised to send... Remember, when we say Law and the Prophets, we mean Old Testament. In the Law and the Prophets, God promised to send a man born of woman who would destroy the serpent who tempted the first humans to sin and ushered in unrighteousness into God's good world. In the Law and the Prophets, we see God promising to bless all the families of the earth through this man named Abraham, his offspring. Through the Law and the Prophets, we have the account of God providing a sacrifice to take the place of Isaac, the one and only son, the Law and the Prophets are clear to point out, of Abraham. Sound, Sound like somebody you know? Sound like some greatest news ever? In the Law and the Prophets, we have, uh, we see God rescue Israel from Egypt before he demands obedience, not in response to their obedience. See, grace leading to good works, not good works leading to God's salvation. In the Law and the Prophets, we see sacrifices for sin being commanded and offered. In the Law and the Prophets, we see promises of a coming King who would reign forever. In the Law and the Prophets, we hear words like those of Psalm 32, which make us look for and long for one who would provide a covering for our sin, which would make us righteous. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Well, who is that? I can't cover my sin. How is that going to happen? Verse 2, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, what in the world? My spirit's full of deceit. I mean, I mean, the law and the prophets tells me that the heart is deceitful above all else, that I can't trust my heart, and yet this says, blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, if that's going to happen, if God's going to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham, and if, the, if being blessed means there's no spirit of deceit in us, Something other than the law's got to come. God's got to show up and do something that we can't do on our own. In the law and the prophets, we hear prophecies of light coming to a dark world through the birth of a son. In the law and the prophets, we hear of a suffering servant dying for sin and yet living again. In the law and the prophets, we hear of a new covenant which God says, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new 
heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is good news, church. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. God's spirit that's not deceitful, he will put within us. And I will cause you. I'm not just going to motivate you, but I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is, all of this is coming out of what we call the Old Testament. You see, God sending Jesus did not create a new way to be righteous, but instead fully revealed God's plan of salvation, which He has had from the foundation of the world. Jesus was not God's plan B when the law, plan A, failed. Jesus has always been God's plan A. The Old Testament was not God trying and failing, but rather God getting things ready for what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 was the fullness of time. Fullness of time. He says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, that means at just the right time, when everything was exactly how it was supposed to be in this world according to God's sovereign plan, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, church, when you believe in Jesus, you are trusting in the one and only plan of salvation God has ever had. When you believe in Jesus, you are trusting in what all of God's Word says is the only way for sinners to be counted righteous. All Scripture bears witness to the fact that God's saving righteousness is revealed in the person of Jesus. God sent Jesus to fulfill what Scripture foretold. The third truth that I want to share with you today is this. God sent Jesus to save all who believe. That's why Jesus came. To save all who would believe. Because God's saving righteousness is centered on a person Rather than the law, the way that righteousness gets applied to us is through faith and not through works. If it was the law, then we would have to work our way to God, which we know would be impossible. But since it's a person, the person of Jesus, it's not through our works because Jesus, the person of Jesus did the work for us, and so it's through faith in Him. Now in a couple of weeks, we're going to focus our attention on this faith aspect of the Gospel. We're not going to talk about that word as much because if you scan through the rest of these verses, which I read, you're going to see the word faith repeated multiple times. We're going to save that for a couple of weeks for now. Dive a little bit deeper into what it means to have faith in Jesus. But I want you to notice for now, it, here in this, these verses, is both the inclusive nature and the exclusive nature of God's revelation of saving righteousness and how Jesus is the focus. Paul writes, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. There's a period there in between your word believe and the phrase, for there is no distinction. I'm not saying ignore it, just don't stop at that period there, okay? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. First, I want you to notice the inclusive nature. Paul says that all who believe in Jesus Christ will receive this saving righteousness. And he elaborates on that when he says, for there is no distinction. We might say, now, wait a minute, Paul. 
You're talking about all the people in the world, and then you say, for there is no distinction. There, there is no distinguishing mark between all the people in the world. What? What are you talking about, Paul? There are plenty of distinctions between people. There's distinctions like ethnicity, and skin color, and geography, and culture, and political leanings, and musical tastes, and and hobbies, and gender, and age, and language, and personality, and educational level, and monetary wealth, and family background, and worldview, and the list could go on and on and on. Paul, what are you talking about? There's no distinctions between the peoples of this, of this earth. There's a, there's a lot of distinctions. But remember what Paul is writing about in this letter. He's writing about the greatest problem of humanity, and the greatest news, which is the solution to the greatest problem. He is writing about our sin and the one who can save us from our sin. And in light of that, this is true. Despite all of the distinctions between us as humans, we all are equal in the sight of God. In this way, primarily, we are all equally sinners and we can all be equally saved through the same gospel message, through the same Jesus who came for all the world. Paul spent chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, tearing down the distinction between Jew and Gentile. And he summarizes this tearing down of distinctions between people in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 3. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Let me put that as simply as I know how. All people are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is the Savior that all people need. And all who acknowledge their need for Jesus and ask Him to do for them what only He can do will be saved. In that sense, there is no distinction between any person and another in the world. Everyone who believes in Jesus will be counted righteous. Everyone. So in that sense, God has revealed that saving righteousness is inclusive. But, but, at the same time, God has revealed that saving righteousness through Jesus is exclusive. God's Word doesn't say that all people will be counted righteous one day. It says all who believe. And it is not belief in anyone or anything. We can't fill in the blank with whatever we want to believe in. But specifically, it's so clear here, Belief or faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only, that's the only kind of belief that will save. You see, God will provide saving righteousness to everyone who believes in Jesus, but He will only provide saving righteousness to those who believe in Jesus. There is a specific way in which the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. And that way is Jesus. You know this verse. Jesus said to His disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Why? Because Jesus is God's revealed righteousness to save. And nothing else. And no one else. So salvation is both inclusive, all who believe, and exclusive, only those who believe. God's revelation of saving righteousness. Exclusive and inclusive. Let me give one quick point of application for us as a church concerning this doctrine of 
salvation, this aspect, the exclusivity of salvation of Christ and the inclusivity of it. Specifically when it comes to our church and even like membership and service in the church, think about how this doctrine of salvation would apply to the life of a church. I don't just mean in in preaching and teaching that Jesus is the only way. Of course, that's an application. But think about just in the practical aspect of the church. We must firmly exclude from membership and service in the church all who do not believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. At the same time, that's the exclusive part, at the same time we must include in membership and service all who want to join who do believe in Jesus for salvation regardless of any other distinctions such as ethnic background or skin color or socioeconomic status or reputation prior to coming to faith in Jesus or previous religious beliefs. We don't look at somebody and say, Oh, you believe whatever you want to believe? Yeah, come on in, be a member of our church. No, we can't do that. It's exclusive. At the same time, we don't say, well, you believe in Jesus, but you don't look like us. So you're going to have to find a different church. No, then we're going against and pushing against the inclusive nature of the gospel and God's saving righteousness. You see how it applies at a very practical level, even just in the day-to-day life of a church. So, God sent Jesus to accomplish what the law could not. God sent Jesus to fulfill what the Scriptures foretold. And God sent Jesus to save all who believe. What do we make of all this? Well, here's what we make of it. Church, salvation is found in Christ alone. Saving righteousness comes only through Jesus. Why? Why? What if somebody says, well, why can you say that? Well, how can you say that to people who believe something different and are sincere in their belief? Well, church, because only Jesus can do what the law cannot Only Jesus fulfilled what God had already foretold in His Scriptures. And only Jesus has done what is necessary to save all who will believe in Him. Hear what these verses of the Bible are saying. God, not man, this isn't my word. This isn't your word. This is not a group of people's words. This is God's word. It's His revelation of saving righteousness. God has revealed His saving righteousness through Jesus and Jesus alone. If we need... To be righteous in order to have eternal life with God, which is true, we do. And if we are only unrighteous and thus completely dependent upon God to provide us with righteousness, which is true, we are, then we must depend upon the way God has revealed. It is completely illogical. Hear me. It is completely illogical to claim A right standing with God based on any other way than Jesus because God Himself has revealed that Jesus is His way of counting sinners righteous. So how foolish, hear hear this clearly, I'll say this with, with, with love towards those who believe this illogical statement, wanting them not to believe that anymore. I don't say it thinking that I know it all. I'm just saying this based off God's Word. How foolish do you think that you can have a right standing with God by disagreeing with God? Like, whenever you say, oh, I can believe whatever I want to believe and God will accept that, you're disagreeing with God. So how could you disagree with God and say, oh, yeah, he'll accept that. He'll accept me disagreeing with him and telling them, telling him he's, he's wrong. What kind of foundation for eternal life is that? And yet that illogical false belief is exactly what we see so many people in our world claiming and believing to be true. That is what is popular and politically correct in our society today. That illogical statement. 
Which means we, as a church, as people of God, must be buckled in and ready to face the exclusion and persecution which will come our way if we hold true to this biblical teaching. Just give you an example. This idea that there are many ways to have a right standing with God is seen um, in what are often called interfaith gatherings. You've heard of those before. It's often called interfaith, interfaith gatherings. Let me give you an example of one of those, those that happened recently. Uh, the National Prayer Service this past Thursday was hosted by the Washington National Cathedral. Um, that was online because of our current circumstances, but um, it was hosted by the National Cathedral there. And that's an interfaith gathering where, where people from various belief systems join together in an online prayer service for our nation. Do you know which belief system, if you look at the, the, the leaders, I don't just mean people that watch, but the, the, those who led it, those who were invited to be a part of it, and that spoke and, 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 and prayed. Do you know which belief system, and they represented all kind of different belief systems, do you know which one was grossly underrepresented? Which belief system was grossly underrepresented in that prayer gathering? The belief system which says that all people are unrighteous and can only be made righteous through faith in Jesus according to God's revelation called the Bible. People who believe what I've just been up here preaching about for the last however long I've been up here preaching. People who believe that, that's who was missing. I'm not just picking on that particular prayer gathering. It just happens to be a pretty well-known, famous, very recent one. Okay, It was not the first of its kind, nor will it be the last. My point is this. Those who are faithful to the teachings of God's Word regarding salvation are very unlikely to play a prominent role in those types of interfaith services because they either don't get invited or because they turn down the invitation if for some reason they did get invited. Now, I'll start with the, the latter. Why would they turn down the invitation? I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do, but perhaps because... Those who hold to what the Bible says uh, don't want to give the appearance that the other beliefs in the room are equal to theirs. They realize the insanity of pretending to believe in, uh, the insanity of pretending that they believe in and pray to and serve the same God as those who believe that Jesus is just one of many ways to God. I I cannot join shoulders before the throne of God with someone who believes that, that you can get there any other way than Jesus. Why would they not get invited? Which is often the case. Well, because the belief that God has revealed His way of salvation and that His way of salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone and that Jesus is the way for all the peoples in the world to be saved, but only those in all the world who believe in Him will be saved. That belief is not popular. It's not politically correct. Is not welcome in our society. But church, let me tell you this. It is biblical. It is biblical. It might not be popular, but it is biblical. It might not be politically correct, but it is what God has revealed to be true. Saving righteousness has been revealed. The way to heaven has been revealed. And it is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It is not a set of rules. It is not the law of God. It is not any man-made religious system. It is Jesus. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, then you will be counted righteous in God's sight. That is good news. 
if you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, then you will not be counted righteous in God's sight. That is the truth. We must never, ever, ever, ever compromise on that belief. And it's gonna, it's, there's gonna, I'm, listen, I'm telling you, there's gonna be more pressure further into the future we go on the path that we're heading as a society, as a nation, to recant this particular doctrine of Christianity. So I say this to our older folks in here. I say this to our middle-aged folks in here. I say it very loudly to our young people in here. You got to know what you believe, so that you'll stand firm on truth and not be led astray. God's word leads to life for you and for those around you. You gotta love people enough to stand firm on what is true. We don't, we don't stand firm on truth because we hate people because they disagree with us. We stand firm on this truth because God will save all who believe. It's good for them that we stand firm on this truth so that they'll have an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel from us that Jesus is the only way. So repent and turn from their sin. Church, we must never compromise on this belief. And we must never cease proclaiming this truth to the world in love. Saving righteousness is found in Jesus and it's found by all who would believe in Him. God revealed His law and the law said, You are unrighteous, but now. But now God has revealed His Son and Jesus says, I will make you righteous. Believe in Me. Church, this is the greatest news in all of the world and for all the world, where the law condemns, Jesus saves. We close with the words of Jesus. He said this, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, Jesus said, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So said our Lord Jesus I'm not God. Newsflash. <laughs> I can't see your heart. I can't. I can see your life. I can make judgments based off of that. But I can't see your heart. So I want to ask, I want to ask a very, very pointed question to you today. Do you... Am I talking about the person sitting next to you? I'm talking about you. Do you need... A but now moment in your life. Where you say, I was trying to earn my righteousness. I was trying to be good enough. I was filling in the blank with something else of how to have a right standing before God. But now, but now, I trust in Jesus.
So you can have that, that transformation today. If you'll turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Would you bow your heads? If that's you today, would you just pray this to the Lord? If you've never trusted in Christ alone for salvation, you're living in your sin, even if it looks like your life is all cleaned up on the outside, would you just say this to God? Would you say, God, Your Word tells me that I'm a sinner, and I believe it. And I confess my sin to You. But Your Word also says that You have sent Jesus to save me from my sin. And I believe that He can do it. I believe that only He can do it. I believe that only He has done what is necessary. That only He has gone to the cross and paid the price for my sin. And today, God, I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. God, put this but now in my life. Where once I was dead in my sin, but now, but now, I have life through Jesus and Jesus alone. Heavenly Father, I pray that there's anyone here today, anyone listening, who right now has believed in Jesus for salvation. God, I pray. That they would enjoy what you have promised you would do. When anyone calls upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, that they would enjoy you counting them righteous. That they would enjoy that but now they have life, e- eternal life through Jesus. Father, I pray that they would tell someone about what you have done in their hearts today. Lord, I pray for those of us who do know Jesus and have trusted in Him alone for salvation. Help us to stand firm on this truth. But help us to stand firm on it in love for those around us, proclaiming the good news that anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. Father, may the truth of Your Word lead us to worship You as we proclaim that You are worthy of praise. We proclaim that we need You. We proclaim through song that You are our everything. Be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.